And if you all look around this morning, there's not that many seats available. Now, since I'm talking about leadership this morning, I think it kind of fits. We have, I think, the opportunity to lead in our community in a particular way. Let me tell you what I think. I think what we have become, I've been here going on 10 years. And so I can only speak for the last 10 years. I told this to our trustees, I think it was, and to our church council, and I know I told it to our deacons, and I told it to my wife last Sunday. We have become, and if you're new with this, you, you under, understand I'm, I'm including you in, in the we here. We have become the church for people who used to go to church. Does that make sense? We're the church for people who used to go to church. And what I mean by that is if I were to poll the audience this morning and ask everybody, I guarantee you at least half of the people that are here probably at one point or another went to church and then stopped going to church and now have started going to church again. Now, I don't know if that's true of everybody, but I think probably at least half. Just look around. And if I were to go out in the parking lot, it's totally full of cars that used to probably drive to a church and stopped and sat in a driveway on Sunday mornings and now have driven back to church on Sunday mornings. I don't say that as any kind of guilt or anything like that. I'm saying I think that's who we've become. And I think we have the, the responsibility and the opportunity to embrace that in some way. Do I know all the answers and what that means? Nope. Because I ain't that smart. But I know we have, a, we have a great opportunity. I don't know what that means, but if you're a leader here at Elm Grove, then I, let, me, let me just encourage you to begin to pray toward those ends. God, what do we do with, with the church that you have uh, turned us into? And uh, I think it's a tremendous opportunity. We, we have people who, for whatever reason, they walk in the doors. I talked to the young lady last week on her way out. And, I, and she said that somebody had been inviting her for several months to come to Elm Grove. You know, just come to our church. And, and, and she showed up. And I talked with her. And I said, well, do you have a place that you normally go? No. She said, I did when I was a kid. And I told her, I said, well, you may not know this, but you will feel right at home in our church. I said, there are a lot of people just like you. A lot of folks that used to go to church and now have come back. For whatever reason... People like the people at Elm Grove. I don't know what it is. I, I, you know, I, I don't see it, but, you know, anyway, <laughs> just joking. That was, that was a cheap shot. Anyway, it was funny, but it was a cheap shot. But no, really, there's something about the fellowship that God has built here. There's something about the people here that, you know, I tell folks all the time. I mean, we, we are we're the friendliest church I've ever been a part of. Um, and, I, and that shocks me, to be quite honest with you, because typically small churches are not always like that. And you say, this ain't a small church. Well, to me, it is. I grew, I grew up in huge, huge churches. But God has really done something. And I, anyway, I just, I, I, just, um, I just want to encourage you with that. Um, as I was preparing to come and talk, and we're going to, I'm going to talk about leadership today. We have a great opportunity to lead in our community for the people that used to go to church. And... Um, Anyway, uh, let's let's we're gonna pray together, and that was all free stuff. You can leave if you want to. The sermon is yet to come. All right, <clears throat> okay. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day, and for each person that you have brought here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the folks who have been here for a long, long time, who have been such a steady influence on this church and in this community. We thank you, Lord, for those who are here for the very first time today. That you have drawn for whatever reason that you want them to be here and whatever you have to say to them today. Lord, maybe they're looking for a church home. God, I pray that we would, we would be a place they'd feel comfortable. 
Lord, for those who are fairly new and still trying to find their place here at Elm Grove, God, I pray that we would be wise to to lead and to make disciples and to show folks how to serve and where they can get involved. Lord, more than anything, more than building a, a great church, if you will, Lord, may we simply glorify the name of Jesus. Lord, apart from you, we are nothing. Apart from you, Lord, we are just a group of people getting together in a particular building on Highway 94. And so, Lord, may today be the day that we again glorify the name of Jesus and lift you up in all that we do and all that we say. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In preparation for talking about leadership today, I did a little informal poll last night, and some of you responded to it this morning as well, on what is leadership. I asked on, on Facebook, define leadership and describe what a great leader is. I got some really good insights. Some of you are dead wrong, i just tell you. Some of you, are, I won't tell you who. Um, I liked them all just so you wouldn't know who it was. Um, anyway... Um, but what struck me in reading all those is we really do know what good leadership is. Deep down, every person that responded, I could tell they really do know, here's what great leadership is. You know what else we know? We know what bad leadership is, don't we? We know what, what dishonorable leadership is. We know the difference between somebody who just gets something out of people and somebody who really connects with them and helps to lead them. I played for a coach one time in high school. And he, he could get a lot out of us, but he was a jerk. I mean, he was just a jerk. Nobody liked him. And today, when we think about him, we don't think of him in the same terms. We think, well, yeah, you know, he, he was good at coaching that particular thing. He could get something out of us, but nobody liked him. We have a lot of leaders in our world today that are just like that. But I wonder, have you ever been frustrated? Have you ever been worn out? Or let down by a leader in your life. I guarantee you if I were to ask you to name those names, and they're probably in this room, you could, you could go down the list and name those names. But I wonder, have you ever been inspired or energized or made better by a leader in your life? I've got a whole list of those kinds of people as well. Leadership is huge. It really is huge. Its importance cannot, I really don't think, cannot be overstated. Maybe you've heard it said, and I think it's true, everything rises and falls with leadership. Everything rises and falls with leadership. Your family, your relationships, your finances, your work, your team, your school, whatever it may be. This church, everything rises and falls with leadership. Now, I'll tell you my belief. My belief is that everyone, everyone here has a responsibility to lead right where you are with the people around you. I don't think that you can pawn it off on someone else. I think you are strategically placed where you are in your life to lead the people that are around you, whether you have a position or not. So how can we know then that we're doing it right? How can we know that when we answer the question, what is leadership and what is a good leader, that we're answering it correctly? I'm thankful that God hasn't left us to guess or to wonder or to make it up. He's shown us in his word, he's shown us in the Bible what good leadership is and what he expects from his leaders. If you've got a Bible handy, I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Now, about halfway back, you'll notice we are in the process of, of putting in some Bibles there in the pews that match the translation that we're using here on Sunday mornings. And so uh, we've had someone who's donated those, and, and uh, thank you for that. And there'll be more that we're, we're just simply waiting on them to arrive. And so if you need a copy of the Bible to use this morning, pull that one out of there. It's between the hymnals. 
There's some under the chairs as well. You can look at that. If you do not have a copy of God's Word and you need a copy of the Bible, just take it with you. You don't have to make a big deal of it. You can let me know if you want to so we know to order another one. That's fine. But just take it with you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. And so if you got one handy, turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. If you don't know anything about the Bible, please do not let that stop you this morning. The Bible's divided into Old Testament and New Testament. There are two different parts of it. Joshua is over in the New Testament. It's the sixth book in the New Testament. You, you, or in the Old Testament. What did I say? New Testament? <laughs> yeah, like I know the Bible. Anyway, uh, maybe I need a new copy. I don't know. Uh, find her backward. Um, but if you go to the table of contents, look at Old Testament, and you'll see the book of Joshua. So get there. Joshua chapter 1 is where we're going to focus today. Let me kind of set the scene on where we are. We're in a, in a series called Bible Stories You Thought You Knew. As I said, many people here probably were in church at one point or another when you were young. Maybe your whole life you've been in church. Maybe you remember a few stories if you ever heard some church stories or Sunday school stories. What we're doing in this particular series is looking at the old stories that maybe people were taught in Sunday school and they were just taught as good moral lessons. Just be a good person. And they were taught as individual episodes that had no connection whatsoever to the rest of Scripture. That's not how the Bible is written. The Bible is not just a series of individual episodes that are disconnected and have no meaning. They are part of God's grand story. If you want to break the Bible down into four different parts, you can do it this way. Break, actually, break history down into four different parts. But the story of God begins with creation, when God made everything and made you and me as well. And then the next part of it is what we call the fall or the sin of humankind. And then from there until the time that Jesus returns again, you have the story of redemption, of God making us new. And then one day you'll have the story of restoration, God making all things new. And so that's the grand story of the scripture. So every little episode fits into that. They're not just individuals. So Joshua chapter 1 picks up the story where the Israelites are standing on the doorstep of the promised land. They're about to go in. They've spent 40 years in the wilderness paying for the sins of the scouts that we saw last week who did not want to go into the promised land. They said, we can't do it. People are too strong. Now that 40 years has passed, Moses, their great leader, has passed from the scene as well, and Joshua is taking over. So there's a transitioning of leadership. Maybe you've been a part of something like that before, in a team, in a school, in a church, in a business, in an organization. During times of transition can be very dangerous for a particular organization. That's when things can go sideways, people start fighting for power and so on. It's when things can go even backward. But it's here in this story, I believe, that we get some great insights on what it means to lead God's way. Now, before we get into the scripture, you may be asking, okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm not really a leader. What, what does this have to do with me? I, I think this sermon is not just for those who are in recognized positions of leadership. If that's the only time that you're going to lead, then you'll never lead. Because you'll constantly wait for that position. Once I get there, and then when I'm in that spot, then I'll be able to leverage my influence. I really believe that this sermon is for whoever is in a relational position of influence. I think leadership boils down to just a couple of things. One is influence, and it is taking people where God wants them to be. I think those are the, that's the essence of leadership. You see some examples of leadership in scripture and parents and in marriages and friendships and in the church and in politics and in work and those who are appointed and those who are informal, lots of different examples. So all of us have something to learn today. And so this sermon is for those who are ready to embrace the role of leadership, whatever it may be, right where you are right now. Let's look at Joshua chapter one. We're going to read 
the whole chapter and then come back and uh, pick it apart just a little bit. Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, who had served Moses. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land that I am giving to the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites and west to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to carefully observe the whole instruction my my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and have success in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get provisions ready for yourselves. For within three days you will will be crossing the Jordan to go in and Take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. Joshua said to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Remember what Moses the Lord's servant commanded you when he said, The Lord your God will give you rest, and he will give you this land. Your wives, young children, and livestock may remain in the land Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but your fighting men must cross over in battle formation ahead of your brothers and help them until the Lord gives our brothers rest. And he has given you, (coughs) excuse me, as he has given you, and they too possess the land the Lord your God is giving them. You may then return to the land of your inheritance and take possession of what Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on the east side of the Jordan. They answered Joshua, everything you have commanded us. We will do, and everywhere you send us, we will go. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses in everything. And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your order and does not obey your words and all that you command him will be put to death. Above all, be strong and courageous. Here's what I believe God is saying in this moment to Joshua, saying to the Israelites, and saying to us today that God expects his leaders to lead his way. God expects his leaders to lead his way. I believe that scripture tells us that throughout every leader that is held up by God as being someone good is someone who leads God's way. We're obligated to it. We're accountable to it. And for just a few moments, let me invite us to put away our preconceived notions of what we think great leadership is. And let's listen to what God actually says it is. And then when we leave here today, the challenge will be to adjust our leadership accordingly. We're going to look first at what his leaders are like, and then we'll look at his way. God's leaders lead his way. The first thing I notice about his leaders is that they are temporary. God's leaders are temporary. Look at verse 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, who had served Moses. And what does he say in verse 2? Moses, my servant, is what? Dead. He's dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. And then the next two words are what? Now, you. Imagine if you're Joshua in that moment. I mean, really, your whole life has been in preparation for this. Moses anointed Joshua as his successor. He prepared him. He trained him. And now it's game time. Now here it is. It's time to lead the people. I'd be scared to death. I don't know about y'all. 
I would be absolutely terrified. You have been second in command for a long time. You're comfortable in that role. And all of a sudden now you are the person in charge. It is all on your shoulders. Leadership is temporary as Joshua was learning. I'm sure he would have loved it if Moses had not died. If God had allowed Moses to cross over the Jordan, in, <coughs> excuse me, into the promised land. But Moses is dead. It's time for the next man to step up. You'll realize that Moses was a really big deal to the Israelites. It was a really big deal. He was their deliverer from slavery. He was their lawgiver in the wilderness. There was really no one like him. The greatest leader in the nation's history. He had done so much for them. You've got somebody probably in your life like that. It's just done so... I mean, you just... You know, we're not supposed to make idols, but you, man, you idolize that person. They, they, can, they, they walk on water, so to speak. They can do no wrong. That is your person that you follow. And that's how Moses was. What does it say about Moses? He's dead. He was temporary. Somebody else has taken over. Moses was temporary and so are we. His leadership was temporary and so is ours. Listen, no matter how important you think you are, no matter how influential you might become, no, much, no matter how much tenure you might gain or how powerful or popular or loved you may be, you as a leader are still temporary. Now that ought to change the way we think about leaders, I think. Both the good ones and the bad ones. When we have bad leadership, whether it's in your organization, your business, around the world, whatever it may be, when we have bad leaders who rise up, guess what? They are still temporary they will not last forever when we have good leaders in our lives we need to be careful to realize that they are still temporary leadership is a stewardship from god we're accountable to him no one is irreplaceable i've joked with you before if god took me out of here if he said you're done and however he did it, if he moved me on to a different church, if he killed me on the spot in the middle of a sermon, somebody like, hey, man. Um, anyway, I just, I said it for you. Um, however, it is, if I stay here till I retire, guess what? One day, Lord willing, if Elm Grove Church is still around, guess what? There's going to be a different pastor. And as I look around this morning, there's going to be a different congregation. I don't believe, I know some of you are old, but I don't believe that anybody was here in 1846 when the church was founded. So all those people were temporary. It's a stewardship. Whatever the Lord gives us to do, it's a stewardship. Our role is important, certainly, but it's temporary. You realize the only character that remains throughout all the pages of Scripture is God himself. Everybody else dies. The second thing I notice about God's leaders is that they are prepared. They're prepared. They, they know they're temporary, but they are prepared. Verse 2. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan. And then look at verse 11. This is, this is when Joshua gets ready. Go through the camp. Tell the people. Get provisions ready. For in three days you'll be crossing the river. Joshua knew that he was temporary, but he didn't just sit around and say, well, I'm not going to be here forever, so I guess I'm not going to do anything. He was prepared to do what God had called him to do. Following the Lord doesn't mean that we're not prepared. It means we're disorganized. Listen, some of the worst, some of the worst examples we see of this is in church. So we don't prepare for anything. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Okay. And then we spend 20 years figuring it out, don't we? Lost in committee. 
a lot of people talked about this on Facebook. <clears throat> a couple of, of responses about being prepared, knowing what to do. They said leadership is the ability to have a vision for the future and chart a path to get there. Being organized, uh, one who has the ideas but maybe hands-off implementing those. A good leader knows the destination and the best route. They have the map to the group's destination. You realize that great leaders, according to God, are not the people that just make it up as they go. They know where God wants them to be and they chart a course to say, Lord, we believe that these are the steps you want us to take. Might require some education. Most folks are willing to get it, willing to be prepared. Might require some planning, so they start working on it. Might require discussion, so they get the best people they can in the room with them. That's what good leaders do, according to God. They have the ability to get people organized for the task that God wants them to do. Joshua was leading the people to take what God had already given them, but he had to be prepared to fight the battles. Some of us are not prepared to fight the battles as parents, as leaders, as workers. And God says, this is where I want you to go, but you've got to be prepared for what's ahead. Don't just wing it. Don't just make it up as you go. God's leaders are prepared. Look to the wisdom of Scripture and to those who have already been there. The third thing I notice is that God's leaders are obedient. They're temporary, but they're prepared. And above all, they're obedient. Verse 7. God says this, above all, be strong and very courageous. Now stop there. You might think it's a pep talk by God. Some of you played sports before. Anybody, any football players in here? Any former football players? Okay. I never played football. Okay, I was too scared, too small. Not fast enough to keep guys from catching me and piling me in the ground. But in, but I've been in locker rooms. I've served as a chaplain for football teams before. And before the game, the football coach goes around and he tries to get everybody all fired up. And they're going to run through a brick wall for this guy. They're going to be strong and courageous. You, nothing can stop you. It's not exactly what God is talking about, just so you know. He tells him three different times to be strong and courageous. But ultimately what he's pointing to is in verse 7, be strong and very courageous to what? To carefully observe. They're obedient. To carefully observe all of the word of the Lord. He says, do not turn from it. Keep it in your mouth. Recite it. Now this is what sets apart truly great leaders in God's eyes from good leaders in the eyes of the world. Lots of different types of leaders, but not all of them please God. I look back at 20th century history, and if you know anything just about that time period, you know there have been lots of so-called great leaders who have risen up and gotten millions of people to follow them. But not all of them obeyed the Lord. Some of the best leaders you've never heard of are great in God's eyes. I've got a guy in my life named Kerry Jones. I've mentioned him before in here. Kerry is my youth minister. I'm not sure that anybody in here outside my family has ever met him. But I, I'll tell you this, I stand here today because of him. Some of the best leaders you've never heard of are great in God's eyes. And some of the leaders that everybody's heard of are not great in God's eyes because they failed to follow his word. Let me give you a little side note. If you're going to submit yourself to a leader, to an ideology to a political agenda, to anything like that in leadership. Make sure that person is following Jesus, because if they're not, they're going to go their own direction. You're going to have a choice to make at some point. Make sure that what you submit yourself to and who you submit yourself to to follow, that they're following Jesus. That's what determines true success. Then you will be successful and prosper. So God's leaders are temporary, they're prepared, and they're obedient. Now that may or may not line up with what you've been taught about leadership, but that's what God's leaders are. And they must also 
do things His way. His way involves humility. When you think of leaders, do you think of humility? Or do you think of strength? I'm going to tell you what to do. Get on my back and we're all going to the destination. I believe humility goes back to being temporary. Good leaders recognize that, you know what, this is not about me. I am just a steward of whatever God has given me. I am passing through. I will do my best. But humbly, I understand that leadership is a gift, a stewardship from God, not something I'm obligated to because of my education or my experience or my time spent with the organization or my position, that it can be taken away, that I can and I will be replaced one day. A lot of the responses on Facebook were about this. Listen to this. A great leader is someone who recognizes his faults, but is not hindered or defined by them. He realizes it's not all about him. A leader is a servant. Good leaders recognize their mistakes and deal with them appropriately and biblically. Good leaders are team players, and they have the attitude that the group succeeds or fails together. My brother-in-law is a Marine, and he said that one of the, one of the, the talks that they gave in the Marine Corps was that leaders eat last. Leaders eat last. They're humble. Not exactly the way we think about leadership. One of my favorite stories of humility in the Bible is John the Baptist. He's, he's got a pretty big following at this time when the New Testament dawns. And, and, and then Jesus shows up on the scene. And, and John tells his disciples, guys, well, hold on a second. Let, let's, you know, hold on. Now, I've, you know, listen, I've built this. I've discipled you. You guys owe me. Uh, you know, I, I, we, t- take a time out. Before you go follow him, f- consider what you owe me for what I've done in your life. You realize John says nothing of the kind? He looks at Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And he tells his disciples, go follow him. And John says, when looking at Jesus, after he's been asked, who are you? He says, I'm just a voice in the wilderness. I'm just making way for the Lord. He says, I must decrease and he must increase. That's what great leaders do. The only one, remember, the only one who remains on every page of scripture is God himself. The rest of us are temporary. He is not. His way also involves dependence. Be prepared, absolutely. But trust in the Lord. I think for many leaders, this is the hardest part. We got some really sharp people in this room. Really sharp. We have some great, great recognized leaders in this room. And for those who are really good at what you're doing, really good, whatever it may be, in whatever industry, whatever relationships, if you're really good at what you're doing, then you're going to struggle with humility and dependence. Because you're going to want to take credit for what happens, and you're going to want to have control over what happens. You know what I'm saying? Nobody wants to nod their head. You don't want to admit that, do you? Maybe it's just me. Verses 3 and 4. Talk about God. He says, I have given you every place. He says, your territory will be. Is Joshua doing all this? No. Verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. Why? Because I will be with you. Verse 9. Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you. Not Joshua, because you're so good and talented and everybody loves you. Because I will be with you. Verse 13. 
The Lord your God will give you rest and he will give you this land. Joshua was to be dependent on the Lord. Listen, make your plans. Be prepared. I cannot encourage you enough. Do, do, do what God has called you to do, but make sure that you trust in him. I, I have made that mistake several times in leadership of, con- of trying to control everything. I've made that mistake here. Some of you have seen me make that mistake here. Trying to control everything and not truly be dependent on the Lord and take steps of faith. Yes, prepare, but trust in the Lord as we move forward. His way also finally involves courage. Humility, dependence, and courage. He says, be strong and very courageous to obey. It takes courage to be obedient. Takes courage to face the challenge of parenting or making disciples or reaching new people for our church or being the kind of influence that pleases God. It takes courage. Three times God tells Joshua, be courageous. And it's primarily about the courage to obey the Lord. This is one that I think if you live in western Kentucky, uh, we get lulled to sleep by this a little bit. It doesn't take much courage in western Kentucky be a Christian. Just be just shoot you straight. It doesn't take much courage. Everybody kind of applauds it, or at least they, you know, they're cool with it. But to truly obey all that is written in the Word of God, even in Western Kentucky, that takes courage. Most people won't do it. Most people will say, ah, okay, you know, I'll, I'll do that so long as it serves me a little bit, helps me advance just a tad. Let me reach my goals. And being a good Christian probably helps in an area like this, so I'll get on board with that. You ever experienced that? Doesn't take any courage for that. But God knew that Joshua was going to be up against people who were going to go halfway in their commitment. And he says, be strong. He addresses the leader first. Be strong and courageous to obey everything. It takes courage. It takes courage to lead God's way, to do all that is written, since most folks won't do it. It takes courage to get people where God wants them to be, to sacrifice your own agenda for God's. So God expects his leaders to lead his way. And ultimately, he expects us to do that for his mission. Do you know that to fill in the blanks there, and it's not by accident, they start and end with his. Ultimately, leadership is not about us, not about our talent, not about our skill, not about our influence, not about our mission, but it's all about his skill, his influence, his mission. Do you know what the mission of Jesus Christ was? He said, I have come to seek and save that which was lost. The commission that he gave his disciples was to go and make other disciples. And that's why we lead. That's why God has us where we are. Anything else is not a lofty enough goal. We lead so that others might know Christ and experience him. We don't lead to make money. We don't lead to climb a ladder. We don't lead to gain power or even to reach our goals. We lead for his mission. We lead out of hearts that have been changed by Jesus Christ. Listen, this sermon, if you if you tuned out at some point because, you know, okay, whatever, talking about leadership and it's not real exciting. If all you heard today was go and be a good leader, then you've missed the point of the sermon and I have failed to communicate. Because it's not about going and just being a better leader and, well, just be prepared and, and, and really be humble. 
The sermon is incomplete without telling you about Luke chapter 9, verse 25. When Jesus says that you can gain the whole world. You can be the best leader. You can be so influential in people's lives. You you can have people love you and follow you. And if you do not know Jesus Christ, you have forfeited your soul. You can gain the whole world, Jesus says, and yet lose or forfeit your very soul. This is not about just leading better. This is about being submitted to Jesus Christ so that he might use us in whatever way that he wants to. In whatever way that he wants to. You've got people that you're leading right now. You may say, I don't know. Listen, they are watching you. Guaranteed. Whether they are younger than you or they're just around you at work, they are watching you. What a tremendous opportunity you and I have every single day. We are leading right where we are. The question then is, where are we taking them? Paul said in the New Testament... To the people that were following him, he said, follow me as I follow who? Do you know what he said? Christ. Follow me so long as I follow Christ. Follow me as I lead you to Jesus Christ. That's the leadership that God has called us all to have for his mission. Lead God's way for his mission. Follow me as I follow Christ. I told you this morning to try to put away your preconceived notions about what leadership is and then adjust accordingly. My challenge to you, my challenge to myself is to have a heart that is changed by Jesus so that now when I leave here, I'm not leading for my own gain, but I'm leading toward the mission and the end of Jesus Christ. That others might know him. That others might see in me the glory of Jesus Christ and be drawn to him and have their lives changed forever. Set that as your goal for your children, for your classmates, for your teammates, for the people that are around you that you don't even give a thought to. What if you led them toward following Jesus Christ this week? Let's pray together. morning, would you simply consider two things? Number one, has your heart been changed by Jesus Christ? Have you truly submitted to him? Have you given all to him? Receiving the forgiveness that we so desperately need for our sin, have you given it all to Jesus Christ? And secondly, are you willing to leverage it all for Jesus Christ? All of your influence, all of your leadership, all of the relationships, all the positions God has put you in. Has your heart been changed? Completely changed? And are you willing to leverage it all for Him? Lord Jesus, I pray that this would not go in one ear for us and out the other sort of a cliche on leadership that we just need to do it your way. But the Lord, you would truly open our eyes to the people that you have placed around us that we might lead to Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for your death on the cross that has set us free from our sins that we've sung about already this morning. For your resurrection that it promises us eternal life and gives us a brand new mission that we might go and make disciples. 
Lord, help us to be your kind of leaders who lead your way for your mission in our families, in our jobs, in our schools, and even the casual relationships that we don't often consider. Make us your kind of leaders. Change our hearts and show us how to leverage it all for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.